0: Welcome to Purpose House Church. Today you'll be hearing a powerful message from our latest series. Let's listen in now. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 6. And since that's in the Old Testament, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to find it. The weeping prophet. I have looked forward to this weekend since I put it on the calendar about a year ago. And uh, enjoy this weekend both naturally and spiritually. And uh, my brother is here and his wife and his four kids. And Melissa and I, we weren't, we're not used to having kids in the house. And three of his kids stayed the night. Last night, they were going to stay the night with their favorite uncle and aunt. And I was trying to figure out who that was. And, uh, but they were so excited about getting to church. They were all up without me even having to go get them up. That's called a family blessing right there. That's a family blessing, and so just being able to spend time with our family, and I'm glad to have my brother from another mother, Mr. Garrett Hornbuckle, back with us, and he had a time, <laughs> he had a time getting here. Uh, his flight got diverted from St. Louis to Kansas City, had to rent a car in Kansas City to drive here, and so he got in way late last night so if you see him back there drinking coffee that's his go juice right now he needs a send me moment right now break forth and so we're glad to have him and we've just been looking forward to this weekend with great anticipation of what god's going to do i do believe that this is a pivotal pivotal moment for us as a church i said to you earlier in january there was a word spoken over this house about us being a place of salt and the smell of salt and the salt of preservation. That a few weeks later, the Lord gave me a sermon to preach or a message more than a sermon about that we need to stop preferring Easter and start preferring Pentecost. That we everybody comes to church when it's Easter. Then we are afraid of Pentecost. But in Pentecost is where the empowerment comes from. The cross allowed for the Pentecostal experience to happen, but we need to start preferring because we need an empowerment. We need a church that's empowered. We need people who are empowered. And most times when I start talking about Pentecost, people get really nervous. Don't get nervous. I'm not talking about a denomination at all. It is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost is about. And so we have to continue this path of preserving a powerful experience that exists in God for everybody that whosoever will. It's not for a certain sect of people. It's for everybody. He desires to pour out his spirit upon all flesh, everybody, everywhere. He wants to pour it out. He wants to pour it out in the county jail. He wants to pour it out at Menard Prison. He wants to clean these prisons out and clean these jails out and put people on the right path. I met with the sheriff on this week and I told him, I said, we're helping you right now. We're keeping people, we're making sure that they fill out an address change notification. They're not coming back to your house. They're coming to Purpose House. So it is our duty, it is our job, it is our calling to make this house an oasis in the middle of the wilderness. Is there any doubt in any of your minds what God wants to do? Is there any doubt in your mind about what God can do? I don't think there's even any doubt of what he's willing to do. So the variable is not God. The variable is us. The Bible is very clear in James chapter 1. There it says, in him, meaning God, there is no variableness. There is not even a shadow of turning. So God doesn't change. God doesn't wax cold. He's God and he never changes. Now we as humans, we have variableness. So we can sing the same song set next Sunday, and it'd be a totally different outcome because you've all had a different week than you had this week. So there's variableness in us. We turn, we change. Sometimes we run hot. Sometimes we run cold and all you spouses, please don't elbow one another, but we all have variableness in us. We run, but we also have a tendency It is a human tendency to get tired of the old. And there is an infatuation. There is a tendency to always be infatuated and enamored with the new. Our world is infatuated with what is current, what's hip, which is probably not even a hip word anymore. What's happening now? What's cool now? What's the latest? What's the greatest? Now, there is nothing inherently wrong with anything that is new. Nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with the latest and the greatest. I'm all into it. I upgrade my phone every year. I want new roads in my subdivision. I want new roads in Southern Illinois. There's nothing wrong, city governments and county governments, with new. There is an improvement over chip and seal. Come on, the amount of taxes you pay, we should be walking and driving on streets of gold. (laughs) Nothing wrong with the new. Nothing wrong with the latest and grace. Even the apostle Peter addressed this and spoke to us about this in 1 Peter chapter 1. And I know I told you Jeremiah chapter 6. I was just giving you a long time to get there. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm gonna read just a few verses to you. He said, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, or let's say old things. As in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So the apostle Peter is telling us and instructing us to forsake an old path. And to walk this new path that you have found. But just because you found it, it doesn't mean that it's new. This new path that you're on is actually an old path. This new thing that you're experiencing right now, it's actually an old thing. It's not new. The power of the Holy Spirit is nothing new. The holiness is nothing new. Righteousness is nothing new. It's just an old path that the church is finally grabbing a hold of again, and we think it's new, but it's really an old path and so I want to just take the next three or four hours and I want to preach to you on an old path to new glory how many of y'all want some new glory in this house? how many of you want the power and the presence of almighty God to rest on your family to rest on, rest on your community to rest across this state I mean we need the glory of God I don't need yesterday's glory I don't need 1977 glory, I don't need 1995 glory, I don't need Azusa Street glory I need the glory of God right now for my house and my family but the only way to get to the new glory is to go down an old path You know what? We've tried it. We've tried it our way a long time. We've tried it with slick marketing schemes. We've tried it with rock and roll music. We've tried it with taking the blood out of the church. We've tried it with taking the cross out of the church. We've tried it with all kinds of stuff. But let me tell you what is attractive. What is really attractive is when you have the power of the Holy Ghost and fire in a church. I mean, that's what's attractive. It runs church people out. But the sinner is hungry for the power and the presence of Almighty God. God. They want the glory. They've tried it every other way, but they need the glory of God in their lives. Peter said, you need to get on this path. Forsake those old ways and get on a new path. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14, he said that there's a path that leads to life. He said, you need to enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. Narrow is the gate and difficult. And let me just put another word in there. Unpopular is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So if there's a path that leads to life and there's a path that leads to destruction, then you must choose which path you want to take. Now, the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and the entire New Testament is given to us so that we would remain on a narrow path that leads to life. None of the teachings, none of the parables, none of the warnings are given to us as a threat Rather, they are given to us out of great love to keep us on a path that leads to life. This new path, which is really an old path, the one that new believers get on and believers should be remaining on, is an old path. But it's not just an old path. It's the original path. And it's a path that leads to God's glory. Peter says to us, and the reason that Peter is saying this to us about what we should do in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, he's telling us the reason why you should forsake these things is not because you just need to forsake it for the sake of forsaking things, but you have something that you're going towards. Matter of fact, if your subtitle in that whole chapter means a heavenly inheritance. So we're putting off the old things and we're reaching forward to something that God has for us. So God isn't just asking you to strip something away and he leaves you naked and leaves you barren. No, when He you take off something, he's putting something on you. When you let go of something, he then gives you something in return. He never allows you to leave here feeling naked and destitute. Matter of fact, when you lay down your old lifestyle, the new thing that God's going to put in your life gives you so much more and more than you could ever imagine in your life so let me just break down what Peter said first he said gird up the loins of your mind that means to renew your mind to prepare your mind for action the Bible in the Bible days men wore long robes that went all the way to ankles but if they ever needed to run or if they ever needed to fight, or if they ever needed to do hard work, they would take the hem of their robe and they would take that hem and they would bind that hem up around the waist with a belt or uh, or a girdle. And so the bottom of the robes would then no longer be inhibiting their movement. They were ready to go to war, ready to go to fight. So you know, in our day, we used to square up with each other. That was kind of how you knew somebody was about to throw down. In their days, they're like, hold on a second. They would pull up the hem of their robe and say, all right, there's about to be some furniture moving around in here some of us in the church need to get some stuff that's inhibiting us around our ankles and gird that stuff behind the truth of god's word and get ready for a fight gird up the loins of your mind the phrase is meant to say get ready to work get ready to run get ready to fight it's the same meaning as we would say let's roll up our sleeves and let's get to business Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, He said, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. In verse 36, he said, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and he knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, he'll find them watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. In other words, blessed are those people who remain ready for a Fight. Blessed are those people who are always on guard, always watching, and always renewing their minds. Get ready to roll. Then he says in Romans chapter 12, Paul's writing to the church, and here's what he says to them about renewing their minds. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service and do not be conformed to this world. Can I just tell Purpose House something? Let us not be conformed to the church world. I don't care what any other church is doing. We're not here to be like any other church. We're here to be like Jesus. We're not here to tell you what new program somebody's got. The only thing I can offer you that'll change your life is not a program I can offer you Jesus. We're here to give you Jesus. We're here to tell you about who the master really is. So I don't care what any other church is doing. We have to do the will of God for us. And it may be unpopular with other churches, but I'm not here to please the church community. I'm here to please Jesus, and you're here to please Jesus. So you're going to hear all kinds of things. Oh, you go down there to that church where oh, my the worship services are like an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, and I wish they were longer. People were falling out. Well, if you come get under the spot where the glory comes out, you wouldn't be able to stand in his presence either. Be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he says, go through the loins of your mind. Then number two, he said, you need to be sober. You must remain sober. Now, for some of you, that word may mean something different than what we're getting ready to talk about right here. The word sober in the Greek is the word epho. And whenever we use the word sober, we, we think that it is the opposite of being drunk. However, the word nepho is an antonym of unawareness, of sleepiness, or carelessness. So the word sober there means be awake, be alert, stay calm, and under control. See, some of us get so worked up. Oh, the devil's after me all day long. Stay calm, be under control, and remember that's a lie because the devil can't chase you down because God's goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. <laughs> be sober. Stay awake. Be alert. Stay calm. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Yeah. Verse 8, and let us who are of the day be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Second Timothy chapter four and verse five. But you. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. And fulfill your ministry. Can I say that to all of you in this house? I'm not the only person in this building that has a ministry. I want to tell all of you, be watchful in all things. Endure every affliction. Do the work of an evangelist. And would you please fulfill the work of your ministry? Would you have that come forth moment in your life and fulfill the ministry that God has for you? gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter says, now that you're on this path and you have forsaken these old lusts, you need to keep renewing your mind. You need to stay alert, stay calm and be ready. Be clear-minded. Then he says, rest your hope or set your hope. Set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that's an important line. We often just kind of gloss over that line. But this is a second grace. The first grace came to you at salvation. This grace is going to be revealed to you when the Lord comes. This is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, set your sights on a grace that is coming. I think this really rubs up against church folk because we like to set our our sights on the saving grace behind us. We always want to talk about where He brought us from and how bad we were. We never want to talk about where we're going and what we're going to accomplish and who we are now in Christ Jesus. I'm not that old man. I don't live in that house anymore. I don't have those addictions anymore. He saved me out of that, and now I'm headed for something greater and something better. The enemy wants you to always focus on that first grace and peter said you need to forget about that grace and go after the grace that's coming at the revelation of jesus christ in your life it'll change your life it'll change your mind when you forget about where you've been and start thinking about where you're going so set your sights on the grace that is coming that's that will be revealed so peter says keep this truth in your mind about what's coming, and then you'll win. And in the end, no matter what happens in the here and now, in the end, you know what's coming. In the end, I know what's coming. So if there's hell in the hallway, I know what's coming down the road. I know what's coming. And so we have a whole different aspect. And he said, that's why you should have an answer. An answer ready for the hope that is within you. People are saying, why are, you, why are you all so happy? Why are you going like that? Because I'm not worried about where I am right now. I have my eyes set on the grace that's coming. I have my eyes set on the revelation that's getting ready to come. Why are you acting like this? Because I know what God is getting ready to do in Purpose House. I know what he did yesterday, but my mind is on what he's getting ready to do later on in this service and what he's going to do tonight and what what the grace that's coming down the road in this place. It'll change your whole mindset. So keep that truth in your mind and you win and keep your eyes on the prize and my friend, you'll live differently than anyone else. Then he says, number four, he says resist. He says resist as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. So there is going to be a temptation to want to go back to what we used to be there's going to be a temptation to go back when we get into seasons of uncomfortability when we get in seasons where it gets hot then we have a tendency to want to go back to what is comfortable. We want to go back to our former lusts and our former things. But can I tell all you, Peter, something? Even though you may have denied Jesus Christ and you think you want to go back to being a fisherman, once you've had an encounter with the Christ, I don't care how many fish you catch, I don't care how many boats you own, you will never be comfortable until you get back in the ministry. I don't care what you think you can do and you think you can run back and hide some on the Sea of Galilee I'll tell you Jesus is going to show up on your shoreline and he's going to call you back out of that boat and say I didn't call you to be a fisherman I called you to be a fisher of men and he didn't call you to sit at purpose on your hands and on your gift he called you to do the work of the ministry in your life I'm preaching better than some of y'all letting on in this house. I think you're shell-shocked. You mean there's another grace? He gives more grace. Don't conform. Don't draw back to old paths of lust and flesh. Don't let down your spiritual guard. I think during COVID, we all let our spiritual guards down. We thought everything just paused. Nope, nope, the devil didn't pause. And he took full advantage How do I know that? Look at the empty seats around this building and churches all over America. People who let down their spiritual guards and went back to the former lust because it was the attendance of church and not a relationship with Jesus Christ that kept them in the house. And my friend, there may be a day where they actually do close down the church and you're going to have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ so that you don't go back to the former things and the former lusts. Instead, your eyes are on the prize of what's coming towards you. So if you let down your spiritual guard, if you let it down, you're going to be tempted to to get off the highway to heaven and you're going to be tempted to be drawn back to an old road of your old life. You must stand firm in the faith and stand firm in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is another temptation besides going back to our former lusts and that is the temptation of trying to create a new path to a new outpouring of God's glory. But my friend, it is not a new path that leads to God's glory. It is an old path. The church is now trying to accept lifestyles of sin and think that will bring glory. That everybody's gonna go to heaven. No, nope. that's a new path. We, to get the glory of God, must go down an old path, the original path. Now, the original path will bring us new glory. Glory. But your new path will lead to destruction. Oh yeah, it'll feel good and soulish. But my friend, you need to be regenerated in the spirit of Almighty God. Not just in your soul, man, but there needs to be a regeneration of the man. So now that you found Jeremiah chapter six, thus says the Lord, verse 16 of Jeremiah chapter six, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. And ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, this is God's people. They said, we will not walk in it. Now, this is not just a scripture, this being cynical about people's thinking. But this is more than just cynical thinking. This is actual historical insight. And that historical insight, we must know that past performance will always equal future results unless there is a divine encounter with Jesus Christ. So this historical insight into God's people lets us know that God's people have always had a reputation of going downhill. It's nothing new to desire uphill results with a downhill lifestyle. It's nothing new to desire a move of god and yet never be moved by god we have entire generations that want mountaintop experiences without ever climbing the mountain we have an entire generation that wants to sing about peace in the valley but won't fight for the high ground that guarantees the peace in the valley We won't fight for the high ground. We don't even want to fight at all. We just want a select few people to have a relationship with God and let them go down the old path while I live whatever path I want and make sure the light's on preacher when I show up to church. Let me tell you something. The glory that falls in my life is not your glory. The glory that falls in my life is for me. You need to get your own glory. And you need to get your own anointing. And you need to get your own prayer life. And you need to get your own worship. And you need to get your own revelation of who Jesus is. We have an entire generation that has never seen the majesty and the transcendence of God. They've never seen the power of God. They've never felt the Shekinah glory of Almighty God. We use church terms and they're completely lost. We speak church terms in English and they think we're speaking in tongues. We speak in tongues and they say that is of the devil. We have it all backwards, my friend. We are not here to co to your lifestyle. We are here to preach holiness, righteousness, and God's grace and God's mercy. I'm not here to tolerate cancer. I'm not here to tolerate sugar diabetes. I'm not here to tolerate a disease or a sickness or an infirmity. For my Bible says the old path says that we are to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It says to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. It's an old path, but it brings new glory and because this new generation has never experienced the majesty and the transcendence of God they don't even make the effort because they think dead dry boring church is the norm and they can't even figure out why God is doing something, if God is doing something. And so instead of going to the church to find out the ways of life, they are now turning to the ways of learning and of knowledge and to school teachers. The very school teacher who would protest baptizing a minor but has no problem hiding it from the parent that their child is getting ready to go through a sex change. See, an old path will confront the new path. An old preacher will confront all this nonsense. And I'd rather be an old preacher and die a dinosaur and be pleasing to God than to tickle your ears and, and just let you go on your way and say, man, I thought, I thought no. When you stand before Christ, you're going to stand without excuse because you heard the words of a preacher that said you need to come out from among them and you need to be separate and you need to be holy. You need to be righteous. You need to be godly. That's who you need to be. Because I know this, when I stand before God, I'll say, I said what you told me to say. So God's people have always had this tendency to go downhill. A good example of this is in God's wonderful care and his miraculous actions that brought his people out of Egyptian bondage. And instead of a trip taking about two years, it took them 40. 40 years. And because of their own decisions... Their own lifestyles, their own sin, their own doubt, they complained against God. They wanted to take no accountability for their own decisions, their own actions, and they're like, Lord, I thought you had us on this path to the promised land. He said, I did have you on the path to the promised land. And it was the original path, but because of your doubt and because of your unbelief and because of your sin, you elected to go to a different path. And that path just went in circles. Going around the same stuff all the time. And so instead of two years, it took them 40 years. And an entire generation missed out on the land that flowed with milk and honey. Can we make a commitment right here right now That we're not going to leave the promised land Of southern Illinois For another generation to receive But this right now This is the generation Under the sound of my voice That we're not going to let another decade go by And say well we heard a prophecy And we heard a word of God And we heard about it No can this be the generation That said we didn't hear about it But we experienced the power And the majesty And the transcendence of almighty God I was there when it happened so, what did they complain about? They complained about insignificant things. They didn't complain about the fact that they weren't going into destroying Jericho and AI. They complained about the food. I'm sick of McDonald's. I'm sick of Taco Bell. Me too. I live in Herod and those are my choices. However, I can either complain about those things or I can ask God to change the environment where I'm not just limited to a couple restaurants. See, this is what we do in the church. Y'all you know, setting you up, y'all oh yeah, McDonald's, I'm sick of McDonald's. I wish he'd preach something different. I wish he'd, I wish they'd seen something different. I wish the church service would not. And all of a sudden, we start complaining about the food. And we start complaining about the lights. And we start complaining about the air conditioning. And we start complaining about well, the parking lot. And we start complaining about my parking spot. And we start complaining about everything else. But we forget that the reason why we're in this place in the first place is we shouldn't have been in the wilderness. We should have been in the promised land. I want a church that complains that there's no healings, and there's no miracles, and there's no signs, and there's no wonders, there's no deliverances. Nobody got raised from the dead. This stuff we've made, church, is a, is a, it's, it's almost a mockery. Come in, sing three songs, teach me about the seven steps to couponing, and let me get out of here. Man, we need a divine move of the Holy Ghost and fire. It needs to wreck your life, wreck your mind, wreck your family, and turn it out (laughs) right. An old path to God's glory. I mean, let's forget about the fact that how He brought the food was miraculous. Let's forget the fact that how they got water was miraculous. Let's forget the fact that how Pastor Melissa and I got here was miraculous. Let's forget about the fact that how you got here was miraculous. And we start complaining about all these things. And the devil's got us worried about the menu. Instead of who's able to eat it. So they lingered. They lingered so long and complained for so long. That they thought Egypt looked better than where God was going to take them. I remember when I didn't have to fight for my seat. I remember when I had my own assigned parking spot you know the first thing I cut down in this place Was a sign that said reserved for pastor If you don't get in a signed parking spot I don't get in a signed parking spot I'm here to serve just like you're here to serve I'll park six blocks down If that means a sinner can come find a Jesus I'll walk to church If it means a sinner comes to find Jesus I'll do whatever it takes Because hell's a long time To be worried about my parking spot So they took, and then they lingered so long that they thought the slavery in Egypt was better and it looked good to them. They they would rather be in bondage than be in God's freedom. Then when God disciplined them, they thought God was hateful rather than helpful. So Jeremiah is coming to speak to a people that have this mindset. So we could say Jeremiah lived in normal times if these would be the norm. Can you imagine this right now that a few generations from now, people are going to stand and say that what we went through in 2020 and the last three or four years where this country has went completely nuts, and they're going to say, that's just normal. The reason why it's normal is because the church has went along with being normal. The church has wanted to let everybody like us and nobody talk about us and we all got good reputations and all that. You're going to have to mess that stuff up. And as long as the church is normal, the world's going to have this kind of normalcy. But you get an abnormal church and it'll turn a community upside down. So let me, let me give you some of the downward trends that was happening in the nation of Israel when Jeremiah heard this from the Lord. God's people had strayed from his righteousness And they relied on themselves. They had become materialistic and greedy for gain. They tried to substitute religious ritual for the heart of God. There was sexual impurity. There was moral corruption. There was treacherous unbelief. There was religious apostasy happened in favor of idols. And social injustice stood very large in this time. Let me just conclude what was going on there by reading you the last few verses of Jeremiah chapter 5 and verses 30 through 31. And it starts like this. An astonishing, an astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests rule by their own power. And my people love They love to hear a prophet prophesy falsely. They love to have priests that rule by their own power. They love to hear people get up and prophesy about elections. Going to get quiet in here. If Trump is your savior, you got the wrong savior. I'm not here to prophesy about who wins an election I'm here to tell you that Jesus is getting ready to come And you better make your calling and in your election sure And if you're splitting over a Democrat and Republican You need to get out of that kingdom And you need to get into this kingdom Because heaven and earth will pass away But his kingdom will remain forever I mean how many times have you heard that prophecy And it's not come true And you flock to it and flock to it and flock to it and give you money and give you money. And they just keep telling you what you want to hear, so you'll keep giving them money. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're letting on, but I'm rubbing up against your church ideology. You want a new path, a new glory, you go for it. But as for me and my house, I'm going to go to the old path. I'm going to not trust in horses, I'm not going to trust in chairs, but I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. They prophesied falsely. Send me a million dollars and God will give you the winning lottery ticket. You know who won the lottery? The guy you sent sent the million dollars to. Prophesied falsely, preached rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. I mean, let me just be Pastor Jason for a moment. I don't sugarcoat anything. I I despise church services that turn into political rallies. We talk more about political candidates than we do Jesus. We talk more about what the government's going to do. Let me tell you something. The government can't deliver a single person who is in sexual immorality. The government cannot do it. They cannot pass a law that will cast that demon out. You can pass all of the laws you want about alcohol, drugs, whatever illicit thing you want to talk about. You can pass every law, but the hope of the world is not not the law. The hope of the world is Jesus Christ. They love it that way. I feel like Jeremiah right now. Jeremiah's like, you want me to say what to these people? This is the way I felt until Pastor Ed called me. And he said, Pastor, the Lord spoke to me about foundations. And if this church is going to grow beyond this, you better shore up the foundation. Well, here's the foundation. The foundation is an old foundation. I don't need to dig it up. I don't need to create something new. I just need to get all the dirt out of the way and put it on a firm foundation. And he is the chief cornerstone. It's Jesus Christ. So the worst thing that was happening in that day was that the spiritual leaders were standing in the way and they were a part of the problem. And he said, my people love it to be so. That's exactly what the scripture said. So if you want to send an email, can you send it to (laughs) jesus.gov? Jeremiah must have felt desperately lonely. He was so out of step with his fellow priests and prophets. He cried out his urgent warnings and they crooned that everything was going to be all right. He said, repent. And they said, you have nothing to repent about. He said, turn to God. And they said, we've already turned to God. They overlooked and ignored sins. They turned and overlooked shameful conduct of God's people. See, because it's human to prefer our comfort and to secure our income instead of our commitment to God. But in the end, it's going to be far better for us to keep company with lonely people like Jeremiah than to hang out to the crowd that's headed for destruction. So the Lord said, stand by the roads. Look, ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. And they said, we will not walk in it. The prophet's words was God's issuing to your people that have been led astray saying you need to turn from these false prophets and these leaders and you need to look back to men like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses and others who walked a path of obedience and holiness before the Lord and seek that kind of a path instead of this new path. Seek for the faith of our forefathers. Remember the days of old, Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 7. Remember the days of old and consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you, your elders, and they will tell you. Now, whenever a preacher starts going down this road, I feel like I need to just put this little announcement in here. Whenever a preacher or a pastor starts going down this road, there is a group of church folk that want to take this type of a sermon and they want to take this warning as a means to challenge the methods of ministry of a church. This is not a warning about a method. Rather, it's a warning about the message. You can change methods, but you cannot change the message. But there's too many people that want to change the message because they want a whole different method. You've got to keep the message the same, but how you facilitate that message can be how you facilitate it. However you do that, but you cannot change the message. So if we put the message out through Celebrate Recovery, that's a whole different method. But we've not changed the message. If we do it through our D groups, it may be a different method, but it's the same message. If we do it on Thursday night or Wednesday night or Monday night or Tuesday night or Friday morning, it doesn't matter what day we do it as long as we have the message. And here is the message. You can be delivered. You can be set free. You can come in contact with Jesus Christ and he can change your whole life. That's the message. So the old ways refer to God's truth as revealed in his word, not methods of ministry. See, Jeremiah was given two instructions. Stand in the old ways. Walk in the good way. So we stand in his truth in order to walk in his work. The word stand there implies to take time to think while you're standing at this fork in the road. He said, look, which means to spend time observing and assessing where each one of these branches will go. Look, look at who you're following. Look at their lives. I love people who say, you know, pastors shouldn't have any money and pastors should be successful. Well, I'm really not interested in following somebody who's broke and then them trying to tell me how not to be broke. I'm also not for fleecing God's flock. So look at them. They're trying to tell you how to take care of your money and they filed bankruptcy seven times they're telling you how to keep your marriage right and they're on their sixth wife and the one they're with really isn't their wife. Look at where they're headed and do you want to end up there? I'll follow somebody that's been somewhere and done something and has some experiences to go with it. Look, ask, find somebody who knows. Walk. If you have no intention of walking the road, then don't ask for the old road. Find here and only is rest for one soul. Matthew 11 verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The greatest threat we face as a church is what we would call postmodernism. Postmodernism that's in the world has crept into the church. I would say currently it's doing more than creeping. It's leaping and it's running through the church. Maybe you don't understand what postmodernism is. It's a style. It's a concept in the arts and architecture and a criticism that represents a departure from modernism. And it has at its heart a general distrust of grand theories, ideologies, as well as a problematic relationship with any notion of art. In other words, it wants to define its own truth and doesn't trust anything that's been established as truth. Now, we would say, well, that's a new path. But this has been attacking the church from early on. This is nothing new. You remember Pilate, right? Pilate said, what is truth? Now, keep in mind that Pilate was a coward, who refused to stand up to the lynch mob that was getting ready to hang an innocent man. He refused to protect. Jesus found no fault in him, but he just said, well, what is truth? I really don't know. I said, I'm just going to wash my hands of this and I'm going to let you all decide what's truth. When you find a leader that won't take a stand, you're going to have a whole lot of people hanging the wrong people. So this theology and this process is coming to the church and people are asking, just like Pilate, what is truth? And that question can come in so powerfully because it's so subtle that we can begin to rationalize things. We can say, well, you know, the blood of Jesus was necessary. But it not is necessary. It was for y'all's day, not for our day. So we rationalize the blood out of our songs, rationalize the blood out of our sermons, We rationalize the blood out of our church services. And now there's no longer any mention that there's wonder working power in the blood of the lamb. Then we go from there. We, if we're going to rationalize the blood, well, you got to take the place away that caused the blood to be shed. We got to rationalize the cross. That symbol of forgiveness, that symbol of death to life. resurrection so we rationalize the cross out so if you want to grow your church don't mention the blood don't mention the cross and now we've got to jesus don't mention jesus jesus is offensive so use real big terms like the big guy upstairs your higher power all these weird things, you know, that tree can be your God. No, I know in whom I have believed in and I am persuaded that he is able. And I know him to be Jesus Christ who shed his blood for me on the cross of Calvary. And had it not been for the blood of the lamb, I would not be where I am today. Had it not been for the cross of Calvary, had it not been for Jesus Christ and the wonder working power of his blood, my brother and I would not be preachers. We would be alcoholics sitting in a bar room today. But because of the blood of Jesus that got a hold of our dad, out chopping wood at a wood pile, and he ran to Jesus Christ, it changed our family from a generational curse to a generational blessing so I'm not going to take the blood out of the church I'm not going to take the cross out of the church I'm not going to take Jesus out of the church I'm telling you, you need the cross of Calvary you need to be washed in the blood and you need to be living for and with Jesus Christ every day of your life look for the old paths And here's one that the church has been fine with that. Well, we'll fight over the cross and we'll fight over the blood, but may I tell you, you have to receive the Holy Spirit. You you must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You think you're going to be able to make this on your own? You have to receive the Holy Spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit in your life. And there's a move right now to take so much of this out of the church, out of the message, out of the church. Well, in this house, we're going to let him in. I have a charge to keep, and you have a charge to keep. Paul gave that charge in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, and I hurry to a close because I know we got church tonight. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he said, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Then he just continues in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 4. He said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heat for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. So he said, preach the word. In other words, Harold, declare the words of the king of kings. Stick to the book. Be ready. Use every opportunity to press people into a decision for Jesus Christ. Reprove. That means to bring conviction. It ought to please you when people don't want to behave the way they normally do around you. Oh, right. right. I didn't mean, get invited to that party because you were going to kill that party. They didn't invite me there, right? Because they know in whom you have believed in. And if you showed up, they can't act a fool. So I take it as a great compliment. I'm like, yeah, you don't want me there. That means you know who I am. But it also tells me you know who you are. Bring conviction. Reprove. Sin must be pointed out. Rebuke. Give a warning. Man needs to know what sin's outcome really is. It's not popular, but it's right. Exhort, give an appeal, encourage, point out a biblical solution to it. It's not enough to condemn a man. Man, as a matter of fact, you should never condemn a man unless you can pray the prayer of deliverance over the man. Exhort, long suffering, be patient. People may not respond immediately, but keep preaching. Doctrine feed people all real preaching is an explanation and an application of biblical doctrine people need to be taught i just want to conclude with just a story and i want to give you some things that an old path does it's 1966 and the museum in florence italy was inundated with water carried a half million tons of silt And that half million tons of silt damaged all the beautiful masterpieces of art. And all that art was feared, lost, or damaged forever. The world was in shock. A team of 60 restorers and artisans came and they began to work with different chemicals to try to find a way to use a chemical that would act as an antibiotic to somehow reduce the damage. They experimented with all kinds of chemicals and solutions. And they narrowed it down to one chemical. It's called squibs nastatin. It was a stomach pill. How do you take a stomach pill and apply that to a painting? So the brilliant people at the University of Florence found a way to make it soluble. And they sprayed it on each painting. And slowly, the damage began to peel off. Each painting took about two years on average to bring it to restoration gradually the color started looking real again the eyes began to shine faces took on their original earthy tones And they were working on one specific picture it was an 18th century madonna they sprayed the chemical on and it peeled off to expose a 17th century madonna they continued to spray on the chemical and begin to wipe. And eventually they reached the original. A 13th century Madonna. They thought they were just going to restore something to the 18th century. But as they began to apply a chemical to take away the old and the damage. And all the silt that had been brought in by life storms. They got down to the real original. They would have been happy with the value of the 18th century Madonna. They would have been happy with the value of the 17th century Madonna. But had they stopped at the 18th or the 17th, they would have never gotten down to the real original. And we cannot be satisfied with getting back to church like it was when we were kids. No, we need to apply the solution that God has over us to wipe out all the damage that life has created upon us by the storms of life. And we need to keep scrubbing, keep working, not till we get back to Azusa Street, not till we get back to the Reformations. No, we got to keep scrubbing and keep repenting, keep praying, keep worshiping, keep going after the things of God until we get to the book of Acts. We get down to the original. I mean, it was good at Azusa Street. And it was good in the times past. It was good when I was a kid. But I want to see, like in Acts chapter 17, where they say of us, these are they that turned the world upside down. They were all in one mind and one accord. And suddenly a sound from heaven filled the entire house. And this spilled out into the streets. And 3,000 other people were added to the church. And then 6,000 people were added to the church. And then more were added to the church. And there were lame men laying by gates. And men walked up to him and said listen, silver and gold have I none but such as I already possess give I unto thee. And he took him by the hand and immediately the street came to his bone. I'm talking about walking down the street and the shadows were healing people. I don't want to go back to the, what it was pre-COVID. I want to go back to the book of Acts church and with the power of almighty God spread across the nations. It changed cities. It changed nations. It changed leaders it changed everything so lord scrub us just put your holy ghost solution over the top of us until we get back to the original let me just quickly give you just a few things that that church did first of all they had a simple message they preached the word they preached jesus They relied completely on the Holy Spirit. They believed and then they obeyed. They had great faith. They were passionate and they were so passionate that their passion produced unity. They were desperate. They were so desperate that their desperation produced a prayer life. And they were so desperate in their prayer life that they became empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so they walked in a spirit that produces power. May we in Purpose House keep it simple. We preach the word. We preach Jesus. May we be fully reliant on the Holy Spirit. May we believe and then obey. And may we have great faith. And may we have such a passion that it produces unity. And may we be so desperate that it produces a prayer life. For the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And may the Spirit begin to empower us every step we take. So, I don't know where you are, as Garrett would say, in your faith journey. But as for me, I'm not going to settle for an 18th century or 17th century glory. I need a 2023 glory. Because my family, my daughters, your family, your children, your grandchildren. They don't need to hear about what God did in the 18th century. They need to experience God today. And my Bible says that my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if there's been any changing, it's been on us. A half a million pounds of silt have covered us. And we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to wash all that junk away so that we go back to the original. And normally I would call for our prayer teams. I don't think we need a prayer team. I think we need a desperation that produces a prayer life. I don't want to throw words around like revival, restoration, reconciliation, and it never happened. I want to be desperate that we have true revival, real revival, where the power of God falls, and we are never the same. So if you would, if you would stand me across the building, I will either pray you out or I will pray you to the altar. if you would would you bow your heads to me and our altar is open if you feel the necessity to pray but heavenly father we need your holy spirit to come right now Lord there has been a sound in this house for over a year and it's the sound of an abundance of rain and I pray Lord for those that do not hear that sound Lord that you would anoint their ears to hear the Spirit of the Lord is saying right now to the church. Break off every chain. Break off every obstacle off of our ears so that we would hear the Spirit of the Lord is saying right now. Jesus, we need you in every aspect of our lives. We need you in our hearts. We need you in our minds. We need you in our souls. We need you in our spirits. We need you in our cars. We need you in our our closets. We need you in every area of our lives. We are totally dependent upon you, Jesus. We are relying on you. Lord, and in that, we are lifting you up because you said, if I, if I be lifted up, I will draw, all men." So Lord, we lift you up today. We extol you, we exalt you, we adore you, we magnify you, we give you glory, we give you honor, and we give you praise, God, for what you're doing. So, Lord, continue to draw people from every area of life, from every walk of life, continue, Lord, to draw us. I pray, Lord, over this house that we would steward what you are blessing us with, and we would steward it well. Lord, that we would manage this revival. We would manage the glory. And we would manage, Lord, everything according to your will and not get in the way of it. But, Lord, that we would be not an obstacle. But, Lord, that we would be a conduit of revival. So, Lord, over our minds and over our hearts and over our souls and over our spirits. Lord, we plead your blood. We plead your blood right now. Over every heart, every mind, every soul, every spirit, we plead your blood. And then we say, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. All the damage that you have tried to create through every attack and every onslaught, we tell you, Satan, listen, our God is the God of restoration. And our God is applying His Spirit upon us which is going to reverse every curse. It's going to reverse every ounce of damage. It's going to its going to re- reverse everything you've tried to inflict upon this region and upon this state. It's going to reverse it. The power of the Holy Spirit is being applied to our lives and though the weapon may be formed, it shall never prosper. You will never prosper against the church. The gates of your hell will never prevail against the church. You cannot come against His people. You cannot come against the blood-bought Christian your attack will never work so we say every sickness, every disease and every infirmity that's been placed upon your people, we say the blood of Jesus is now being applied to your life and it's bringing you back to the original, it's taking you back to the way in which God created you, Lord you even sent just a word and it healed them all so Lord let your healing power begin to flow right now into your people that are being robbed of ministry because they're tired, they're being robbed of their fire is because they're paid for medication. Lord, let the Holy Ghost fall and then heal them, Lord, from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Bring them back, Lord, right now to the original person that you created them to be. You foreknew them and you predestined them, Lord. So let your healing power flow right now in their lives. And Lord, may your people open up their prayer closets and may we be like Elijah who placed his head between his knees and he prayed until there was a sound a declaration a prophecy that there was coming rain so Lord, let us put our head between our knees and Lord, let us declare that there is a declaration over Southern Illinois and over this house and over this region that this region is coming out of bondage. This region is coming out of poverty. This region is gonna be blessed. This region is not Little Egypt, but it is the heartland and it is pumping the blood of Jesus going through this region and it'll expand out, Lord, across this nation. Lord, bring us back to the original and let it be said of us that these are they and this is that. that turned the world upside down. May the Lord bless you as you seek an old path for new glory in your life. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to check out our podcast weekly, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can visit PurposeHouseChurch.org to find out more information about Purpose House Church. Be sure to join us right here next week.